hello and welcome to episode 127 of the 1099 for the week of January 8th, 2018. I'm not used to saying that. I'm your host, Josiah Renauden, and with me today is the editorial director at Glixel, a founding editor and former executive editor for Polygon, the founding editor-in-chief of Kotaku, and a man with some of the best and most impressive hair in games media, Brian Crescente. Brian, how are you doing today? Good. How are you? That's a heck of an introduction. Thank you. I'm great, and the funny thing is, I left some different things out that you've done before, just so that the intro wouldn't be half of the podcast. I mean, <laughs> there are a lot of people in games media who find a job and set up shop there for as long as the site and the organization will have them, uh, but you've seemingly taken quite a few risks compared to a lot of the people I've talked to uh, at this point in the podcast, 127 episodes deep. Um, you, you've really attempted to lead different new sites to the promised land, so to speak. And maybe this is a funny question, but it's something I was wondering as I was looking over everything you've done. Is that fun for you? Is taking something with potential or something that's just starting out that you think you can do something with, is that challenge something that you look forward to rather than just finding a spot, finding either you know middling or even greater success and staying there? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's weird. It's it's funny. Uh, this is going to sound like I'm going off on a non sequitur, and I sort of am. But uh, <laughs> I, I, today I was talking about a, I had a feature, and I was talking about the the four stages or five stages of uh, of a feature, and you know, you go through this process. For anybody who's written a long feature, they know about this, where you you know you're excited about it at first, and then. Uh, after you've done like an interview for a really big feature or, or all the interviews, you're a little freaked out because you're like, oh man, I don't, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this justice. And, and there's always a little bit of anger in there where you're like, for me, I'm usually mad at myself because I've screwed something up or I'm like, ah, I can't believe I, I took this on. And then, you know, when you finally get to that point, there's like relief. And, and the step I didn't, uh, include was what happens after that. And, and for me, and this is true with the websites I work for, uh, I, I find that I, I can go a few years where the site's doing really well. And then I start sort of thinking, you know, I miss, I miss those early years where we were sort of, uh, creating the voice and identifying what we were going to do. Um, so a very long answer to your question is, uh, I do, uh, I do sort of find myself getting antsy. I do really enjoy helping to create or creating things. Um, and it feels meaningful to me, especially in this, in this particular field of journalism, because, uh, fortunately I've, I've had the good fortune to work at two places that are still around and employ a lot of people. And, I think that's great. Like, I feel like I've had a hand in, in giving more journalists jobs, which I think is fantastic. Yeah, we need a lot more of those wherever <laughs> possible to have sites that actually stick around. I, I think it's relatable to game development. I, I work for Corey Davis, who did Spec Ops The Line, and now, you know, Tan Gentleman. And I remember talking to him during that process of getting out of AAA, and there was this thought for him of, I want to go create again. I want to go start something up again and be able to see that progress, be able to enjoy, you know, not to be cliche, but enjoy the journey on the way there. And maybe this is a hard question for you to answer. Do you think that'll ever stop for you where you eventually just create a site or help lead a site to a certain spot? And you're like, all right, I'm just going to stay at this place because it's doing well. Or do you think you'll always want to be the guy who does something new and continues to have those experiences? I, I mean, right now, uh, I, I think that probably I don't see in the foreseeable future sort of settling down. Um, I, I say that, of course, working at a place that 
in my mind is a dream job like rolling stone is you mm-hmm. know i i still really haven't stopped long enough to think let this let it sink in that i'm working <laughs> this at is your rolling chance. stone this is, this is what we're gonna talk about the role yeah <laughs> i can reflect um but yeah so uh i mean i love i love rolling stone i love the fact that i'm at rolling stone and that i'm i'm trying to create this thing um but i like i could still see myself doing this again or trying to do it again i i think what's going to end up happening uh is that i'll get to the point where i'm just like i don't you know i don't know if i have another one of those left in me not not that i can't still run a site but there is so much that goes into creating something from scratch or, or nearly scratch and it is it's just consuming in a way that i obviously people who, who build build games and create other things understand but it, it's just it really takes a lot out of you is there a general blueprint that you kind of have in your mind? I know there's no perfect solution, but when you get into one of these situations, a polygon, a Kotaku, a Glixel, where you're like, all right, here's the steps you have to take to make this sustainable. I work for a, a tech company in Jacksonville right now, and everyone talks about, you know, agile development and this, how there's these general principles, but you need to adapt it to the team size, what you're working on. If it's a, you know, iPhone uh, application you need to like okay what's it going for do you have maybe a strategy that you try to use from place to place uh, I, I do I, I feel like and and this probably wouldn't come as surprise as a surprise to anybody who knows me I have always felt that news needs to be sort of the the foundation upon which most sites should be built and and so in my mind I think the first thing you do when you create a site especially uh, well I shouldn't say especially but a, a gaming site is that you want to really sort of plug into the to the stuff coming out of the industry, the things that are happening, and try to establish your voice and the fact that you're there covering, you know, all the important things happening in the game industry. And I think that's, uh, in my mind, that's because uh, it, it accomplishes several things. First off, it does give people a sense of, of what it is you're covering, uh, it, it, it gives you a lot of, um, fodder, I guess you could mm. say for features and bigger stories. And I, it's, it's important. Like I, I, I feel like of all the different types of coverage out there in gaming news still doesn't get, uh, as much, uh, respect and time as it should. There's plenty of sites that do a good job with news, but it's not like if you compare that to features or opinions or reviews or any of the other things, news still seems to get short shrift. Have you, do you enjoy how some sites kind of have the here's our take on this news or almost like editorializing the news within the news post? Do you prefer let's just deliver the straight news and not worry about what the writer actually thinks about it? Uh, so I've gone back and forth on this. Uh, I, when I started working at Kotaku, I, I actually deliberately, specifically wanted to create a site where every writer very much put their opinion into the the stories they wrote and that went that was everything from you know just the writing to even how i did the hiring i made sure to hire people who in my my opinion all had very different opinions uh and the idea was to kind of get this sort of mashup of of ideas 
And I, I enjoy that. And I think that's interesting at Polygon. Um, Polygon was created with a, a group of people and we all sort of, sort of were brought in, uh, with, with different levels of expertise in different fields. I was brought in as a news editor, uh, worked with Griffin McElroy, a uh, very talented young man. I, I say that because he's like, I think Forbes named him one of the 30 under 30 or something. Yeah, he's but, great. Uh, very talented guy. Anyway, yeah. so the two of us uh, talked a lot about news and we decided with Polygon that uh, we wanted to be straight news. So uh, deliberately left off opinion. Uh, with Rolling Stone, I'm sort of in that department too. I, I feel like I think – I think it's fine to in, in, inject your opinion in news stories. I think that my take right now in establishing or reestablishing maybe a site is that with everything that's going on, it's probably best to really work on, you know, nailing the facts and trying to provide a dispassionate view of what's going on, at least in the news. And then if you have opinions, you know, express them in opinion pieces. Yeah, that's normally where I fall on it, too. I kind of like how Game Informer has at the bottom, like, our take, just so they can separate. Here's the straight news, and then here's this chunk that, if you're interested in who the writer is, you can at least get a take on that. And you mentioned before, in all these different places, news is important. And in a lot of ways, maybe we don't put a big enough emphasis on the news. But from when you first started doing Kotaku, Polygon, even before that, how much has your mindset had to change in terms of the type of content you build. Because when you started, I doubt podcasts were that big of a deal. I doubt Twitch was even a thing. I doubt YouTube. No one really cared about Let's Plays. And that's changed. And I think you still need this core. People care about reviews. People care about news. But how much have you had to adjust based on the industry, but at the same time not lean so far into fads that might just be that fads? Yeah, I, I, it, it's certainly it's changed a ton. Um, I, so I started at Kotaku about a month after it was launched, um, and took over for the person who who launched it alongside. I mean, it was always a Gawker property, so that was two thousand and four. And you know, back then, they there were blogs, and I mean, really, that was it. <laughs> you know, and and <laughs> other other big publications. Um, so, uh, it, you know, I, I came in, I was still working. Actually, there's a quite a, uh, there's like a three or four year overlap between working at newspapers and covering crime and working at Kotaku. So I had a very, very sort of news driven mindset. Um, at Polygon, by the time I had moved from Kotaku to Polygon, I still, still enjoy and still interested in news, but I, I find that doing sort of fact based uh, investigative light features. I hate to call them investigative features because <laughs> I, I still don't think uh, like I've done a couple of them, but uh, in general, I think they tend just to be, you know, f something where you spend a little more time and you get multiple sources on a story. So I, I tried to spend more time doing that at Polygon and was fortunate enough to, to work with Chris Grant, uh, who runs things over there. And he gave me plenty of opportunity and time to work on some dream stories. Um, and now here, I'm sort of, you know, building something, trying to figure out what we want to do. But I think that base is still news. Um, features are going to be important. But yeah, obviously, video is very important. Um, I, You know, podcasts, I'm sure you know this better than I do. <laughs> the, the, the understanding of the value of podcasts fluctuates a lot among publishers. It sure does. Uh, so there, there are people who don't believe podcasts any, have any value. There are people who think that it's, you know absolutely has to be done i i personally uh nothing against you 
Uh, I'm a super busy guy, but I I don't listen to podcasts just because I um I tend to be writing constantly. <laughs> so like <laughs> when I come home from work, I'm I'm on the train writing. When I get home, I eat and spend time with my family, go to sleep, wake up, and then I start writing again until you know that happens again. Um, but uh, so I'm not I'm not super into listening to podcasts. I've had some ideas. I experimented with them a little bit at Kotaku, uh, and I've had some ideas in the past. And maybe maybe I'll do something at Rolling Stone uh, at Glixel. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think video right now, you know, everybody jokes about the pivot to video. Uh, I think you have to do it carefully, but, uh, video is obviously an important thing. And it's not necessarily because, uh, people are demanding it. I think, I think it's because there is great opportunity with all of these new ways to get your video out there. You've got, you know, you, uh, YouTube, you've got Twitch, you've got, um, Netflix, I mean, they're like everybody has become a channel and they all need content. Facebook. So I, I think that's really what's driving it. There's a lot of money there. Uh, and people like money, people who run publications <laughs> like money. Uh, and I think doing it carefully is the key part there because I've worked at places and know people who've worked at places where it's just this from the higher ups command saying we need to get into video and they have no idea what that means and no idea how to implement that and very often they put people in place who also really doesn't don't know what that means or don't know how to properly implement it and the podcast thing is funny because i feel like people who are do podcasts are still kind of fighting to show people like hey these have value i've had um Shay Serrano from The Ringer and Jason Concepcion from The Ringer on this podcast. And The Ringer is maybe the model right now for here's how you do a podcast network. All of these are tied together. Each one advertises the next. They're one of their biggest money makers from what I've heard. And it's it's a smart way to do it. But I can also understand as someone doesn't listen to podcasts, it has to be you it's 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 hard to value something like that, right? Like would you ever consider this is not me pitching you, I promise. But I, I know <laughs> your site's very freelancer heavy right now i know you'll be getting full-time more full-time people later but would you ever consider like hey this freelancer's good at podcasts he can do a podcast for us is that something you're looking at yeah i mean right now uh rolling stone uh as i'm sure you're aware uh and by the time this this goes out uh it will be old news i guess but yeah. uh literally 30 minutes before we started doing this uh, news hit that Rolling Stone had been sold. <laughs> so exciting <laughs> times. Uh, thank you. I, I, none of my money, but very interesting <laughs> stuff. And obviously it will impact me in some way. Um, but yeah, I mean, up until this point, it, it has been just me, uh, and a pretty modest freelance budget. Um, and it, uh, that process of not having sort of the riches of Polygon, you know, where Polygon has this massive staff and uh, a huge investment from the get-go, um, having to be sort of like Kotaku in its first days, really is, I think, helpful. Uh, not that I would wish that upon people because it's exhausting. Um, but, you know, I I know with the budget I have that essentially I'm going to have, I can afford, uh, put it this way, put it that way, I can afford basically three news stories a day and one roundup of news stories. And I try to afford a feature a day. And when I run out of money, I just write the rest of them. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, um, but, but the reason I say that is because that process means that every day I'm like, okay, I've got three bullets. I've got to figure out what are the three news <laughs> stories that we, that we need to cover. And, you know, what are the five, uh, briefs essentially that we're going to do today? And I think, 
You know, you, you could do it without the pressures of, of not being able to do more, but having that pressure there really does make you uh, be more careful about the way you use your resources. Um, and it also sort of has made me think a little bit more about freelance. Um, at, at Kotaku, we, we did a little bit of freelance when I was there, but not a ton. Polygon does a fair amount, especially in features, but it's not something like in news. I'd never really used a freelancer before. Um, and having done that now, um, it's, it's, I think it's totally, it works and you could do that. And it also makes sense. Um, the, the key thing of course is I, at least for me, I don't want to feel like I'm taking advantage of people. So, uh, for instance, with the news stories, I, I go and I find the news stories and I'm like, you know, here, write these three news stories and here's the, the, the background. Um, because I'm paying for, you know, I don't know. I just feel like I'm going to screw someone over. <laughs> if I'm like, go find some stuff for me and do the reporting and do all this stuff. Uh, so Blake, Blake Hester, um, writes, writes most of the news stories that we have right now. And he's a freelancer. Um, but he comes in and, you know, bangs out those stories every day. And, you know, I, I think, I sometimes think I don't actually have a lot of time to chat with, with him because I'm very busy. Uh, and I sometimes wonder if he thinks I'm just the the worst person in the world. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, I, I, the reason I'm giving him all the news is because I'm like, I'm the only one who knows this. Uh, and not that I'm like, hey, maybe you shouldn't be wasting your time doing this when I'm, you know, I'm just paying you for the words. Uh, and then Stephanie Fogel, uh, amazing writer. She takes five stories and turns them into a, a sort of a brief roundup. And um, like, that's. That's the predictable content. And then, like I said, one one feature a day, typically. I can promise you as a former longtime freelancer that uh, he does not think that you're this awful person. Like, I feel like it would be way worse for him if he went and was seeking out the news, started writing something. and like, actually, I don't want to cover that. And then suddenly half of his work is useless because that news story didn't work for the day. And freelancing is kind of like a strange like every site kind of does it differently i it was mostly GameSpot for the longest time at the time i was there they almost that entire review staff was freelance that was after a lot of the GameSpot layoffs and they're like oh shit we still need to review every single game ever right. so what are we going to do and everyone went in that direction in 2018 and like we talked about before you are going to get more full-time people but is is the goal I don't know if the budget's going to change at that time. Is the goal also get more freelancers or are you kind of good with the rotation you currently have? Well, okay. So first I have to say, I assume I'm going to get more full-time people, but <laughs> no one's told me that for certain. I like, I, okay. I, I like they, they've been very happy. Rolling Stone, Gus Wenner, who, uh, who sort of co-created Glixel. It was like his baby, um, really likes the site, really likes what it's doing, is very excited about the space. Um, completely like he and I are in very much on the same wavelength about, uh, what, what role gaming plays in society and culture, which is, is great. Uh, so that's great. Uh, and, and he certainly feel, it feels to me like he definitely wants to invest, but you know, like I said, the sale just happened. I assume that that's what's going to happen. And that would be great because then I won't die at like 48. <laughs> I'm 47 right now. So, oh, in, God. In, well, in I'm very old. <laughs> so, I mean, this year has aged everyone. So I get it. Yeah. Uh, so, um, I, I like, I think that's going to happen in, in a perfect world. I'd love to slowly ramp up. I, it's funny. I, I'm so reluctant on some level like to just completely hire a staff not that that's on the table but like if it were uh, i just 
I, I very, uh, I maybe a little too much, but I try to be very careful about that because I like once you hire someone full time, in my mind, they're family. Like, yep. I, I mean, not to say that if they screw up or things go wrong, you, you can't let them go. But like, in my mind, that's a commitment both ways. And I, there's nothing worse than having to let someone go, not because they didn't do a good job, but because for whatever reason, there's not the budget for them. Um, and so I, I would prefer to ramp up because I feel like it's a safer approach, not for me, but for whoever I happen to hire. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, my hope is that, you know, we're going to start hiring people. I assume that's going to happen, but I definitely want to maintain freelancers, uh, not necessarily for news. I, uh, I really have enjoyed sort of not only getting pitches sent to me, but also kind of going around and hunting out people who I'd like to work with or who I've read some stuff from uh, and saying, hey, do you want to write a feature for us? That process is fun. And I think also it's the way you discover, you know, this talent. There's so much talent out there and uh, nothing against the sort of the army of, of game journalists who are established and either, you know, they live off of freelance or are recently starting to freelance. But I, I, part of me really likes to go out and find people who don't have that exposure uh, and are talented, that sort of raw talent or, or refined talent, and bring them you know, to Rolling Stone and get them to do stuff. And, and the same goes for opinion. I've been doing a lot uh, trying to create an interesting opinion page, and that's been exciting. The process of finding freelancers fascinates me because, as you would assume, this show is called the 1099 for a reason. Um, and initially, it was all about the I was a freelancer at the time, and I would get other freelancers who maybe didn't have the platform that I felt they deserved. And I've talked to people who there are those established people. And I joked earlier about once people find jobs, they kind of just you know stay there as long as possible. It's not really a joke; it's kind of the truth. And there's a lot of people who haven't had the opportunity to be on a GameSpot or an IGN or a Game Informer or a Polygon because those jobs are hard to come by what's what is your process for finding those people who i'm assuming you already kind of have this well of freelancers having done this for as long as you have so you know people who are out there but when you're searching for new people do you go to more obscure sites do you find blogs do you go to patreon to see if someone's working on maybe an independent project what's your strategy for that i mean uh, it might as well be casting bones uh, like I, <laughs> I first off i because uh, when i was at so when i was at Poly polygon for a chunk of it i was a news editor and so I was very focused on news, which meant no freelance. And then when I became the executive editor, uh, that was essentially a fancy title and a way of saying, Brian's going to go off and, and just do stuff. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I really didn't have like a lot of freelance connections. I mean, Polygon has a great stable of freelancers, but I didn't have a lot of, you know, that's more Matt uh, Leone's um, sort of bread and butter. And so uh, when I came here, I had all the people who had already written for Rolling Stone and um, or for Glixel. And uh, I, I basically had to just sort of go out there and start. So I, I did a lot of these sort of, you know, calls on Twitter where I'm like, hey, do you have any pitch ideas? Send me a pitch idea. And you can imagine. <laughs> oh, got, it's a flood. Oh, yeah. And so I, you know, I, I think I was pretty good. I, I still miss people occasionally, but I was pretty good about getting back to everybody. Also, I mean, you could do the math. There's like typically about 20 weekdays in a month. So that's about, that's the max. Usually it's closer to like, I don't know, 10 or 15. So um, that's not a lot for a month to, to get in from people. Um, yeah. And so I have to be very selective. 
uh, and it's, it, it is sort of fascinating. It's like chess. It's like, it's like Star Trek chess, like 3D chess, <laughs> because you're like, you have to find a writer who has an interesting voice, an interesting perspective, or in my mind, you do. And and when I say perspective, just to be super clear, I do mean people who are under underrepresented uh, in the media, because I think they bring something to the table that you don't always hear, like people of color, people from different backgrounds, people from different countries. That adds a lot to uh, the way a person writes. It shapes the way they write. And I think uh, their perspective is important. Uh, in opinion pieces, obviously, but even in news, not because they're going to express themselves, but because the way they may approach a story could be drastically different based on their yeah. own sort of history. Um, so you're, you're looking for that. That For me, that's the baseline. Like I'm trying to find these people. Then I find all these people and then it's like, okay, now send me your pitches. And sometimes the pitches are great, but uh, just like with news, I only, you know, I only have so many. It's one a day and I feel like each one of those has to really count. And so I say no to a lot of stuff, like a frustrating, frustratingly large amount of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, uh, I actually, I remember one freelancer, I, I tend to be very short in my replies, not because I'm rude, but because I have so many. And so usually I'm like, uh, thanks, but I'm going to pass. And after, I don't know, four or five of these to one person, they're like, can you, can you like give me a clue <laughs> what, <laughs> what it is you're looking for? Um, so I actually went, I have a, um, a, a private site, uh, just a site that I use to put stuff on sometimes. And uh, I put a little, I wrote up a little thing on what I was looking for in freelancers uh, because I realized that uh, it, apparently not everybody can read my mind. Um, so, so yeah, so I'm looking for, you know, first that, that voice and that person who I think is going to be interesting and different and a good writer and a good reporter. Then on top of that, I'm trying to find something that's timely and that's uh, not sort of following along with the pack. And then on top of that, a very specific angle. So when you put all three of those layers together, you get this Venn diagram that's like, you know, it's a it's a really tiny area. Um, mm. and, and hopefully it's a sweet spot, but not always. Well, even if you don't send long replies, thank God you actually do. As Again, as someone who's sent a lot of pitches, <laughs> sometimes you don't and you know you have. Sometimes you're wrong. But oftentimes, if you freelance long enough, you know if your idea is good and maybe if it doesn't fit at that site or you have something similar at the time, you're like, I need to pitch this somewhere else. And if no one replies, you're like, oh, I can't sell this off to someone else because what if he randomly says yes a day later, then I'll feel like an <laughs> asshole. So yeah, that's the pitching process is crazy. And there are just so many. I agree with the fact that the idea of bringing in those diverse freelancers to even if it is just the news, they're going to look at that in a way that you would have never considered and might be much more effective than any way you could have thought of it. I, I had um, a Rami Ismail on here on this podcast a few months back, and he was talking about going to these different places and talking to people who are from different countries, from different cultures, who talk about game development in a way where it's we could have never thought of that. It's the way they were maybe raised, the way they see the world, and they can bring a different light to that. Um, earlier, you had talked about how you kind of you're doing a lot of this on your own. You only have a few bullets every single week, so you you, you can't go hire someone right away or in, invest too much in freelance because you're trying to kind of keep this lean. And you took over Glixel about a year ago or so, maybe a little bit less. And, and judging from some of the data you shared on Twitter, I mean, things have been going well in terms of numbers. But just from, I have no idea how this went down. How did the whole situation after the initial Glixel crew left, um, how did you get contacted? What was the process of you getting into this role? 
Uh, well, yeah. So, um, I, I, so I was contacted and um, asked if I wanted to uh, take over Glixel, basically start running it. Um, and basically, I mean, they, I, 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 I don't know a lot about what led up to that point. So I, I feel like maybe people don't know all the stuff that went down. But like in terms of from that point on, uh, I knew that everybody had been let go, which is unfortunate, um, yeah. obviously, um, and that they decided to move the office to New York. And um, there was discussion when we first started talking about whether it was going to be just me or if it'd be me and staff. And that kind of went back and forth. Uh, I actually said no the first time. Uh and um, we kept talking. I maybe no is a, str- a strong word, but I, we didn't reach an agreement initially. And and we kept talking about it. Um, and you know, then I just felt like, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. I I knew going in that absolutely it was gonna be just me. And I knew uh, I couldn't get Gus to commit to any sort of timing in terms of like this is when we're gonna give you staff. Uh, I tried tricking him. It didn't work. <laughs> I said, what What about when we hit a million as I stroked my beard? And he was like, he kind of looked at me. He was like, I don't want to talk about any specifics because I hit a million like my first month there. <laughs> so I was yeah. Like, well, well that's that. You could have done it. <laughs> I know. Oh, well. Uh, so. Um, so, yeah. So I uh, I knew I knew going in that it would be just me for a while. Um, and I knew what my, my budget was going to be small. I, I suspected though it hadn't been announced that there were some pretty significant changes coming to Rolling Stone in terms of, of either ownership or something like that. You could just, you can, I feel like you can kind of sense that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and, and so it just seemed like that was likely. And I think that rumor was sort of already out there. I didn't expect it to happen so quickly. Uh, I can't remember now. Was it October, November? I can't remember when it was announced, but I started in uh, July, uh, about halfway through July. So uh, it, it was fast. Um and, uh, yeah, so basically it, it was a, it was an odd, um, transition because everybody, you know, had been let go. Um, I, I worked with one person and I, this, I feel terrible about this. I've suddenly forgotten his name. Um, I'm, I'm terrible with names. It's, it's on the same way. Don't worry about it. Uh, but so I, I worked, he was kind enough to sort of stick around and uh, help out with sort of the transition. But, it, you know, if that's a really hard transition to do on many levels, not just emotionally, but also like, you know, there's no way one person's going to remember everything. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it was, you know, there was a lot of, there were a ton of stories that had been already, already been uh, essentially paid for or had been already received and hadn't been edited yet or had been edited. And oh my god! Yeah, so I had to go through all that, and uh, but you know, uh, it, you know, it wasn't impossible. It was just, um, it was a little uh, complicated. Maybe that's yeah. the best way of saying it initially. So, yeah, uh, th- so that that went on for a while, and then uh, slowly over time, kind of moved, went through those features, and they sort of commingled with the ones that I was I was uh, bringing people on for. And now it's, it's been a while. Uh, it's, I mean, I think it was like August is when we sort of went through all those features. So basically from that point on, it was just, um, the stuff that I was, I guess, commissioning. Um, and, but, but yeah, essentially I sort of, uh, my take on it was 
I'm just going to start from scratch because I, I should have mentioned this. The other major change that happened was Glixel was a standalone site and they rolled it into Rolling Stone when I, when mm. I took over. Um, so that was, um, that was interesting because like that, that was to some degree that was done automatically. But I, for instance, had to go in manually and tag every single feature a feature. Oh, <laughs> so, oh I, my God. I, I saw, I, I guess, I don't know. I guess I have that ability to, to tell myself, okay, Brian, you're, you're going to be digging this ditch. Just, just dig it. <laughs> just, just oh, don't even think about it. Just, I've had day. to do something like that before. And I just, the process of it is a nightmare. It's so tedious. Yeah, so th- there was a lot of that with the handoff. A lot of it was automated, which was great, uh, but there was still a lot of that sort of thing. And then sort of trying to figure out how is this page going to work within Rolling Stone? Um, you know, it doesn't have – certainly it doesn't have the same sort of look and feel as a site like uh, Polygon, which is gorgeous. Um, but on top of that, it's not – you know, it's not a front page. It's it's a vertical within another site. Um, and so figuring out how I was going to handle like placement of things and, and what the sort of, I hate to call it design language. That's probably overstating it, but you know, that, that like feel of like, what can you expect if you were to come to the, the Glixel's landing page? Um, and then on top of all that, everything that runs on Glixel runs on the front page of Rolling Stone. Um, which if I, I, I think. If it were anybody other than Jerry, who's uh, the the editor of RollingStone.com, uh, like I would be getting into arguments probably every week because like that's yep. that's a hard situation. He's been fantastic. Like he's he's great, very supportive, helped me out a lot. H- has almost never raised any issues about you know like why are you covering this or do you think this is worth covering or I mean they just completely have put all their faith in my. Uh, bizarre take on things which is a little scary <laughs> well again it seems like it's working and you mentioned before that you didn't immediately come to an agreement almost said no at the start and just being honest was there any trepidation when it came to taking this job after you saw what happened to that initial staff because i mean like we mentioned before the details of how it happened aren't exactly all out there and in no way am i trying to drag rolling stone for what happened i i don't know what the situation was but from the outside, Glixel was right around the time of Waypoint where you saw Rolling Stone and you saw Vice putting money behind games coverage. And that's incredible because, like I've said multiple times during this podcast alone, we need more writing jobs. We need more of these talented freelancers to get full-time job or just some sort of representation talking about games. But when you see big companies putting money behind it, there's the concern of are they just getting in because gaming is getting popular right now with esports and Twitch and YouTube and they're trying to just cash in to a certain extent so knowing that and knowing what happened to john davison and the other people there was that maybe one of the key reasons why initially you were like i don't know if i should do this oh yeah absolutely i mean um i think the first and most important thing worth mentioning is that uh a i mentioned already i'm old but i'm married (laughs) and i have a 16 year old son and like you know i have family and i can't i can't hop into if i was single if i was sort of out there on my own, I could take chances all the time. But when I take chances now, I'm like, you know, I, I have a talk with my wife about it and we discuss whether or not, you know, she's always been incredibly supportive, but I, I always know going into something like this, it could just blow up in my face and 
uh, we'd all be screwed because of me. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, I mean, definitely, uh, definitely was something I thought about. I gave a lot of thought to. Um, and, you know, I, I was in a very comfortable position at Polygon in a, in a site that I can't imagine is going to go away, you know, maybe in my lifetime. I think that's an, an established, I, in my mind, uh, I, in many ways, I see it as sort of next gen, uh, next gen, no, no pun intended, next gen IGN. <laughs> um, in that, you know, IGN sort of in its formative years was very much like covering everything and did everything with, uh, sort of gusto and had big staff and did video. And I, I see Polygon doing that. Um, so leaving that to, uh, go to a place that had just laid off its entire staff and, you know, everybody knows that Rolling Stone, you know, was going through issues in terms of, uh, uh, just it's a print magazine. Like all print magazines mm. are going through issues. Um, so uh, yeah, I definitely gave it some thought, but also it's like, you know, why, why would I, uh, this is going to be a stupid thing to say, <laughs> but, <laughs> but like, why, why not? You know, like, why would I want to just take the safe road? That's no fun. Uh, no. I just, you know, it's not, it's not in my DNA. I like, I like taking risks. I like trying to create things and, uh, I love, the experiences I have by, by doing that. I would, I would not be in this career had I not made a really big, stupid decision that happened to turn out in my favor. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think you can always fall back on the fact like, Hey, the rolling, the rolling stones, the top of the site, like that's really important in terms of grabbing eyes in terms of having that support. And one of the, I think the coolest things that Glixel does right now is you get people like Hideo Kojima to have a feature on there about, I thought I saw one about Planet of the Apes, if I'm not wrong, where yes. he was. Yeah. Is that maybe, I was going to ask you a bit about maybe what separates Glixel. Is the fact that you have Rolling Stone at the top and you're able to get these names to write for you, is that something you want to keep doing more and more? I, this podcast part of as it's evolved i've really enjoyed talking to people like lauren lanning and mike laidlaw and uh people who make games and maybe don't get a chance to talk about other things besides their games and discuss maybe other people's games or movies and different things like that is that something you want to do more in 2018 maybe get cliff blazinski to talk about his favorite jrpg or someone else in, of that nature to go beyond just their own stuff yeah, I mean, well, first off, the first uh, absolutely thing I have to point out is that I was fortunate enough to inherit Hideo Kojima. Um, <laughs> so I I'm going to refer to him as a relic. Uh, he was handed down to me from the uh, Glixel staff. Uh, so I had nothing to do with that. And it has been uh, surreal editing his copy it is such I a couldn't weird even imagine it's yeah. so and not and not because of his copy but it's just like i like every month i'm like i am editing hideo kojima's stories <laughs> <laughs> this is weird uh but yeah and it's great it's fun uh you know he uh I, I i work with his assistant and i'm assuming the the team over there helps with the translations and there's some back and forth sometimes but it's so neat you know and yeah he's got a very interesting take i've been sort of um as I've taken over, I've been sort of trying to scooch the way the topics he takes on and the way he takes them on a little more in a, a specific direction. Um, it's sort of trying to fit in line with some of the ideas I have overall. I, I mentioned earlier 
the wanting to expand the opinion stuff. So that, and that's essentially the stuff you're talking about right now. In my mind, that's, that's all right in, in the, the center of that. Uh, mm. those opinion pieces. I, uh, I have a lot of publications I read. And in my mind, what I'd love is for Rolling Stone to have, or, uh, I gotta stop doing that. Glixel. <laughs> for Glixel to have a, a sort of New York Times, uh, op-ed section, you know, where, where you go there because, the opinions aren't just Brian saying what he thinks because yeah. who cares what I think? Uh, it's, you know, Hideo Kojima or uh, uh, Rami Ismail. He, he's written a bunch of stuff for us. Well, three, three things, two, three things for us. And, you know, I've been working with him on, on trying to um, get him to do something monthly. Uh, and I've been talking to a bunch of other people about that. I, I have commissioned two um, stories, two opinion pieces Hopefully they're going to run in the next day or two uh, about Magic Leap, uh, and, oh, yeah. and I think that, like that's a prime example. So you know we had today, I had this big feature on Magic Leap. A lot of people talking about it. A lot of opinions, and I I think I even said at some point I'm probably going to write something. But uh, like I don't think that my opinion coming from the perspective of a journalist. Yeah, yeah, I've seen it and I've seen some other stuff is as valuable as. You know, talking to people who are in that field, who like really like live and breathe it. And so I spent a chunk of today tracking down two people who are really experts. And uh, I'm not telling them what to say, but my thought is that when I get those opinion pieces, they're going to be pretty opposite, which is my hope. Maybe they won't be, but I think that's cool. I think like um, having well thought out, well argued opinion pieces that without attacking each other or maybe even referencing each other go in opposite directions i think can only be healthy you know because then you have yeah. people come and they read both sides um i i did something um i had a opinion piece on PUBG that ran uh gosh i think it was earlier this month and it was uh it was essentially the headline was this is why PUBG shouldn't be considered for game of the year. Mm. Uh, and, and then another opinion writer hit me up and said, Hey, I, I have this, you know, I have this take that's the opposite of that. What would you think? And I was like, Oh, that would be awesome. And so I, I emailed the first guy and I was like, Hey, just so you know, you know, there aren't going to be any personal attacks or anything, but someone's going to be writing essentially a response piece to what you wrote. Uh, it's going to be a thoughtful one and I'm going to run it. Um, and the, the funny sort of aside is uh, Glixel has a newsletter that goes out once a week. And that week I ran at the top of the newsletter, those two stories, one above the other. <laughs> and at least one person tweeted it and was like, what the hell's going on? Because <laughs> <laughs> they basically said the opposite things of each other. And that just cracked me up. I, it confused the guy, but I thought it was funny. <laughs> well, I, we need more of that because right now on Twitter, if, if there's two dissenting opinions they're angry they're you know personal attacks instead of actually discussing the points of the other one and we don't have enough of that in games media and i just love the idea of bringing on creators and people who other people care about to it's almost like them blogging about whatever interests them in the moment um again this this podcast that was one of some of my most popular ones are like Marcus Leto, who did um, a lot of creative direction for Halo, co-creator of Halo, and just him talking about those times, but also 
him talking about microtransactions because like you mentioned before if josiah renauden writes a opinion piece about microtransactions maybe if i have some bold take people will care but otherwise they're like who's who's this guy no one cares about what he says about microtransactions but if the co-creator of halo is like here's why microtransactions are necessary or here's why we can't fix crunch or here's why this i think there's a lot of value in that i mean maybe you can't talk about it now this podcast are running about two or three weeks so maybe you can do you have anyone in mind other than rami and hideo kojima for 2018 who you've already reached out to or you plan to reach out to uh, I, I've I've reached out to a couple of people. I don't I don't want to say anything just because I haven't gotten a firm yes or no, and I don't want to apply pressure. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are people that uh, I think that there are a number of people. Well, I mean, first off, this is a field that is filled with intelligent, creative, uh, witty personalities. That uh, it, it, one of the things I've found so funny is the the idea that I'm editing this stuff because, like Rami. His first column to me, he sent it in, and it was like the editing was me reading it. <laughs> I was like, yeah, this is- he, he's he's a genius. Like yeah, that his, dude is smart. He, and his stuff is so. It's not just that it's clean. It's just like on point. Like I I don't think I had to do anything. I wrote a headline, um, <laughs> but like yeah. So uh, I I can't I can't name any names. Uh, I did want to say though, uh, the, bringing up the point of sort of the the tenor. And the emotions on on uh, Twitter, mm. I do kind of hope. I mean, I know there's, or I feel that there's no way to, there's no easy fix for that. But it, I, I find it troubling and bothersome, and I, I do hope that by presenting differing opinions that aren't hostile, maybe people remember that you can do that. Like there, there was a time when you know you could have an interesting, heartfelt discussion with someone you disagreed with, and not threaten to blow them up or kill them. Yeah, uh, and uh, it would be great if we could return to that time. I, I think that would be swell. I I really hope so. I mean, just having Star Wars come out uh, <laughs> made me realize maybe we can't. Like that was like, right. oh no, come on, guys. And uh, once you add the human element to it, I, I think I agree. Once you show people this can be done, it's the same way where if I would ever reply to a comment in my GameSpot review, someone who is just hyper angry about something and just calmly explain, here's why I thought this, or here's why this happened, or here's why this is phrased this way. They then realize there's a human on the other end, and they go, oh, okay. And then that person, I'm not saying I'm changing the world one comment at a time, but I do think they might think twice before immediately addressing people like that. So hopefully the more you show people that, the more that comes out. Uh, last two things, and again, I super appreciate your time. Um, I would assume as you're planning what Glixel is going to be as you're discovering what it is you're looking at your competition and, and maybe your competition is not even games media sites maybe it is the new york times maybe it is other publications like that but we now have a lot of personality-based stuff either through patreon like kind of funny or what's good games or you can look at something like giant bomb or waypoint where they're not really worried about you know regular news and reviews. It's a different style of thing. And then you have the giants that are GameSpot and IGN that are almost always going to dominate that space in a certain way. And I think Polygon is, like you mentioned before, reaching that spot. When you look at when you first started doing Glixel and Glixel now, were you comparing yourself to those places? Or when you are doing something like this, it's just more important to understand your budget, understand your personal goals, understand what Rolling Stone has talk to you about and just say maybe i'll try to model certain things after them but i have to do my own thing 
Yeah. So, I mean, some of this goes back to why I took the job ultimately. I, going back to my days at Kotaku, uh, I used to always tell people if they ever asked me, or sometimes just because I felt like blurting it out, uh, that I always wanted to create the Rolling Stone of gaming sites. Like that, in my mind at Kotaku, I was like really trying to do that. Uh, I don't think I achieved it. I think uh, I, I'm proud of what I did there, and I think that Totillo's done some amazing stuff with uh, with Kotaku. But it, it's a goal. My goal has always been to do that, and it, in my mind, what that means is essentially creating a publication that understands that, to some degree, video games are to today's younger generation what music was to the generation of the '60s and '70s. Yeah. And to to look at that and treat it with the respect, but also the um, attention and and sort of um, I can't think of the word all of a sudden, but but to uh, dig into it, it's, I was sounding so so uh, serious there, but it was really me falling asleep. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like, I like I feel like what I've always wanted to do is create this this thing that. Uh, is not just respectful of gaming, but is like, you know, yeah, yeah, of course gaming's, you know, of course my son is 16 and, you know, maybe part in part because of him being my son and being exposed to games his whole life. That's what he does. That's how he communicates. That's how he talks to his friends. He, when we moved here from Colorado, the way he stayed in touch with his friends in Colorado was like playing Call of Duty. And yeah. You know, he he hangs out on Discord. He watches Twitch. He he tries to. I try to stop this, but he tries to go to sleep listening to what is it? ASMR? Is that what it is? Oh yes, that's what it is. <laughs> but like that's like I I maybe maybe he's a little more focused on gaming than some other kids. But I think that's pretty pretty typical of his generation. So and that means that it needs that generation needs a publication that kind of can get past all the the bullshit about like oh video games wow you know i thought those were for kids or oh wow video games are talking about something important now and just make that assumption and then start digging into the important questions that you know not only that need to be asked but also i think frankly hold creators of video games to the standard that they expect and deserve which is you know don't don't do bullshit don't you know yeah. create loot crates that are going to completely bastardize your game. Don't do some of the things that other publishers have done and, you know, give your creators the voice they need and and tackle important and thoughtful topics. Did that answer your question or did I It absolutely <laughs> No, it, it absolutely did and and definitely for younger generations games of I mean, just me, I, I do spend a lot of time in Discord talking to people. I do some of my I would consider best friends, and I think a lot of people on Twitter can agree with this too, are people you've never actually met in person. It's people you've met through playing games, people you've met on Twitter that then I play Overwatch every single night with my brother who I've gotten closer to because of video games, with a friend who I went to high school with who now lives in Colorado across the country who I talk to all the time, and with a freelancer who I've never met in person, but I've talked to on Twitter, and now I play games with them all the time. And uh, this not making this scene as toys 
is extremely important and as something much bigger than that. Um, so no, I absolutely agree. And, and, uh, and I have to say it was so bizarre. Um, the stuff going on with EA and star Wars and having these two state representative representatives from Hawaii, uh, you know, they were looking at whether or not that was considered gambling and if some laws should be enacted. I interviewed one of them and it was like interviewing someone who I was working on uh, a story about games. I mean, interviewing someone for a story I was working about game. Uh, ah, I'm not saying this right. It was like interviewing a gamer to talk about games. Like this guy was, he was a state representative, but he was a hardcore gamer. Like, oh wow, he he heard about it on Reddit. He was he was personally pissed off at EA, not just for that, but for a bunch of things that he told me about. Like this was this was like this is the future. This is That's someone crazy. who got it. Like he's a gamer, he understands games, and we could skip all that bullshit at the beginning of the interview because he was he dove right in. There's going to be a president in the future who played Halo three all the time, drank Mountain Dew, and yelled at people online. There's going to be a president or like a senator or more representatives who had those land parties. So no, it's a real thing, and it's not just this bizarre niche of people who only go into certain fields like you know the, the the term gamer is stupid because you don't call people like oh i'm a movie goer they don't get like you know represented by that it's just stuff that people do and i do think having a site like Glixel that normalizes might be an odd word but makes that more hey people just do this and it's it could even be social in some ways is important uh last last thing where can people find you and Glixel on social media and what are you working on now again this will published about two or three weeks after we talk. <laughs> uh, what do you what might be out actually or even what are you working on in 2018 that you can actually talk about right now oh uh, well the, the saddest thing of all of this is i am so completely overwhelmed with trying to keep things going that my window is like two weeks out the, <laughs> this magic leap story that ran today it started out at nine thousand words it got cut down but it was about nine thousand words oh, that God. that i i flew out there on thursday uh interviewed on friday Came back Friday night, actually took the weekend off because I'm trying not to go insane. And then Monday, with the help of some interns, transcribed everything and wrote the whole story, edited it Tuesday and put it up Wednesday. So, like, that's a lot of writing in like a, uh, a yeah. three days. Oh my God. I look like a zombie at the end of those. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I don't, uh, it's hard to say. I don't know. Um, I have things I want to do, but I, like, I literally right now, this will be too late probably for people who list, listening to this, but I don't think I have a single story right now for January. Um, and I probably should be freaked out by it, but I'm so used to that at this point that I yeah. know like I, I probably next week I'm going to be going through a lot of pitches and trying to line up uh, what January is like. Uh, I have a Wizard Wizards of the Coast story that's going to be running next week. Uh, has a little bit of news in it. Uh, a couple of interviews. Hideo Kojima column should be coming in in the next day or two. Um Story about Star War, a Star Wars VR experience uh, at the Void. Uh, that's all I can remember off the top of my head, though. Um, and you can find me just my, my last name, uh, Crescenti, C R E C E N T E B is in Brian at, uh, or I'm sorry, that's Twitter. That's there are no ads. It's the ad. The ad <laughs> is in the front. Um, or it's just Brian.Crescenti@glixel.com. And Glixel, you can get to actually if you go to glixel.com it'll it'll send you to this to the place otherwise uh go to rolling stone and you'll see video games right at the top and click on that and you'll you'll be there all right perfect well thanks so much for doing this brian uh, it's it's been fun to watch how glixel has grown this year i think you were you know a great person 
for this job. Uh, at this point, I hope that you spend this entire weekend just sleeping and this entire holiday season just relaxing after writing all of those words and doing all of this work over the last few weeks. And uh, I, in general, I'm always looking for people in games media to succeed, more jobs to be created, and more people to care about this stuff. So wish you all the best in 2018. And maybe we can talk again once you publish another crazy story. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for having me. No, absolutely. Thanks again. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Hopefully, tune back in for the next episode of the 1099.